0: Ready for the interview, and if you get a cue, live on the laptop, watch what I'm gonna do. Welcome to the show, let them know we got a point of view. Hey, yo, let's have a combo. Say what you feel, be real, that's the motto. Real talk, pronto, Dr. D, PhD, hit the intro. Hold up, wait, gotta be social, network, global, home for the local. Gotta be social, network, global, home for the local. All right, Denise, you made it into the show. How are you?
1: I'm good. How are you, Darian?
0: I'm doing really, really well. I was very taken by uh, your profile and your story. And I said, I have to talk to this person. I got to see what's going on with the life and times of Denise Garrett here.
1: (laughs) It's been an interesting journey. I can tell you that.
0: (laughs) It's interesting code for something else.
1: (laughs) Not really. Um, It's just been like a full life, you know, Um, some of it happy, some of it sad, some of it somewhere in between. A lot of successes, a lot of failures. Is most people would call them. I tend to call failures learning opportunities, um, because really that's all they are. They're stepping stones to our success if we choose to learn
0: what we right. can
1: from them and keep going.
0: Most definitely. <laughs> um, I I think most of the time we learn a lot from. I feel like you learn more from the things that don't go well, <laughs> and then you're like, okay, I understand this a little bit better. Like if it's just always good you kind of just, you kind of sit in that you're like, Oh, it's great. I'm having a good time. (laughs) You know?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I get you. I totally agree too. It's easy to do that. And I was a firefighter though. And so after we would run a, what we called a real call, um, we would debrief it. So we would talk about what worked well because we wanted to replicate that success in the future. Um, So we were used to celebrating successes. We also looked at what doesn't work so we could improve upon it. So, um, you know, because sometimes in those situations, a few seconds could save a life. And so we were always looking for how do we improve? How do we improve? Um, So we kind of had the balance of both the strengths and and the failures, if you will, or the just things that could be improved. Um, But I know when you don't have anything to compare to it all seems the same. And that's true for not only when we're wallowing in our successes, hopefully many of us are, but when we're wallowing in our despair.
0: Yeah, most definitely. Tell me about becoming a firefighter. This is interesting. I've known many firefighters in my life, but what was the pull to go into that profession?
1: So it, there were many, but the main one was I were, I did what my family said when I graduated from college and they said, you should go to work for a good company and retire with a gold watch. <laughs> and I tried it. I went to work for a, a good company and they paid me insane amounts of money to be the youngster that I was. Um, but I was miserable in the job. Um, just miserable. Like I hated the culture there, I guess you would say. And so I knew it wasn't for me, and I wanted to find something that I enjoyed um, much more. And uh, I played soccer at the time and uh, told my teammates, you know, hey, I'm looking to make a career change and just looking for ideas right now, brainstorming. And anyway, I met someone who was a friend of one of my teammates who was a firefighter and said, after we had discovered we had a lot in common she was like well hey have you ever thought about being a firefighter my first comment Darian was uh no you could die doing that (laughs) and then she's like no no you know that's true but you're gonna die like we're all gonna die anyway someday you know um and I said well yeah I hear you but you know women just don't do that Mm. she said you know what women do I not many of us but I'm a woman and I do it and and so she shared just a little more and and then let it go. And then we kept talking about the things we had in common. And then one day, a couple of weeks later, I called her and said, hey, how do I check out this firefighter thing? I want to give it a shot. Um, so I saw it as a way to, I guess, you know, she planted the seed. But I saw it as a way to serve people in an environment that worked well for me. It's better than corporate America. So firefighting is paramilitary, which... I wasn't quite prepared for, um, but I was able to do that. Um, but I love the idea of helping and I love the idea of responding to people in their hour of need. So it really appealed to me.
0: So what was going on in your thought process between the time of your friend talking to you and then you making the decision? What, what turned that decision for you into saying, yeah, I'm going to try this.
1: I think a lot of it was just, you know, how do I want to serve? Um, what contribution do I want to make? Um, and looking at the corporate gig, it it wasn't a horrible, horrible gig. I just didn't like the culture. Like we had to raise our hand to go to the bathroom and I was an adult. I just felt like that was ridiculous. I worked in customer service and if the phones were busy, they didn't want you to leave your desk. And it's like, well, I'm grown and I know my bladder better than you do.
0: (laughs) Exactly. And
1: I also know that I want to serve our clients, but, um, I just didn't like that. And I didn't like just the, they had a dress code and they just had all these things and, it's kind of funny because I traded in one dress code for another, but the the other the uniform worked for me. Um, I loved that. I didn't have to think much about what I was going to wear in the morning. I knew, um, but I also um, thought about just you know what what impact can I have? So when you're dealing in a customer service, yes, you're serving customers and you're helping them solve, like in my case, billing problems, um, and that means something to the customer but it just wasn't the kind of impact I wanted to have. And so I think that started rattling around in my brain and, and I was like, well, I think I could have a better, uh, the kind of impact, I won't say better, but the kind of impact that I want to have in that role as a firefighter EMT.
0: So what was the environment like once you got in there? Like what was day one? Like
1: it was, I was not quite prepared for it. I'll be honest. Um, I was my County's first and only female. And, uh, so there were some, some thing challenges associated with that. Um, some of the guys just weren't happy. I was there at all. Mm. Um, they didn't feel like women belonged in the fire service. Um, some of the guys were just kind of on the fence, you know, they were like, well, as long as you can do the job and save my butt, if I need saving, then okay, you have a right to be here. And so those guys thankfully, um, realized I could pull my weight. And they became like, you know, my, like I was one of them, you know, like we're all trying to get through recruit school, if you will. Um, But once they saw that I could do the job, they were fine. But unfortunately, there were still that, you know, few that felt like women just don't belong there. So challenging in that regard. And then just, you know, learning a whole new culture, learning a whole new language, really, Um, and being exposed to different situations. Um, Some of it, wasn't a surprise to me, like the trauma that we saw, because when I was 16, I worked in the hospital as a physical therapy technician. And so I had seen people get with severe injuries or burns and that kind of thing. And so that part wasn't as much of a shock as just the, the resistance to me being a female there.
0: Well, not that interesting? Like seeing some really difficult things about injuries versus someone's idea or ideology about women yeah. was more difficult to deal with than seeing some really difficult things. That's that sounds so backwards to me.
1: It 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 was and it still is unfortunately in many really many places. Um not so much just the fire service that the women still make up less than three percent of the total firefighting population. But um just in many places there are Men that believe that women should be in different roles and like yeah. they can be teachers, they can be housewives, they can be, they, there's certain careers that it's okay for a woman to be, but there's certain careers where some men feel like, you know, it's, it's man's world, so to speak. Um, and it's still out there in the culture, um, right. less, but it's still there.
0: So was this a daily challenge you faced in your work when you were there?
1: Pretty much. Another challenge was everybody knew me because there was one of me and there were like 300 and something of them. So when we pulled up on a scene, they automatically knew who I was and I didn't always know who they were. Um, But yeah, I think I felt, I'm not going to say it was like the truth, but I felt like they were always wanting me to make a mistake um so that they could prove whatever it was they were out to prove and one of the things i felt was that um and it, this happened uh several times uh, a guy made a mistake and he was like told oh well you know you're human it happens it happens bro it's gonna be okay bro and if i made the mistake it was like see blah, blah blah i mean like they were on my butt i don't know what language we can use them. you can so say
0: anything you want
1: <laughs> they were they were on my ass um you know busting me like there was something wrong with me like I wasn't cut out for the job and they didn't treat my male counterparts the same way and that was just annoying like I didn't take it personal per se but it's annoying it's like okay well I am human even though I'm incredible because I can pass all the tests to get here to do the job and have shown that I can do it um it just got annoying it's like really we can do better than that but interestingly Darian once my guys got behind me so I could do the job, um, they like we were fine. We were they were truly like my, they became my brothers and uh, still are um, to this day um, and will be till I take my dying breath. But um, some of the wives had issues with me. Really? Um, yeah, because we were we were on 24 hours off 48. So when we were there for 24 hours, we had a bunk room. And it was a shared bunk room. And I guess the women felt like I was going to be sleeping with their husbands or something. Some of the women, not all of them. And those that felt like that felt like I was a threat. I mean, they were downright ugly to me. And and I was just like, I would tell whoever's husband it was like, you better get her in check or I'm going to handle this, you know, and she's not going to like it. She might not want to come back and visit you at the station anymore, but this is my place of work and I need it to be respectful. And, uh, so that's just that was a surprise to me because um, I was like, what, what do you think? I mean, and then one lady I actually had to say, like, look at your husband. You don't think I can do better than that? Look how fit I am. And look at him. I mean, like, really? And I, I warned him I was going to do this because he's my brother, right?
0: Yeah.
1: But, like, you know, I was like, really? Like, come on. You, you can, you know, <laughs> she uh, stopped after that, um, uh... which is all I really wanted. You know? Right just um, stop the nonsense. Like you're allowed to have your opinions, but don't express them in my workplace where it creates an uncomfortable environment for all of us.
0: So they would actually come to the firehouse. Yeah. Families
1: visit, the families can visit firefighters when they're on duty. Um, Of course, if we get an alarm, we have to go. So the visits cut short, but yeah, sure. They bring uh, a lot of the guys, wives would bring their kids and the kids would climb over the fire truck and you know, all that fun stuff. Um, It was, it's, Yeah, it's very family oriented.
0: It sounds like that's what I've heard so much from uh, people I've known. But for the audience, what would what's the biggest misconception about firefighters you think that the general public has?
1: I think one of them is they think that firefighters are heroes. And I think in general, most of us don't consider ourselves heroes. We signed up for a job and we knew the challenges and the risk associated when we signed up to do it. So I think most firefighters don't perceive themselves as heroes. And I think the other thing is um, most people think firefighters don't get scared, mm. like first responders, police officers, too, like they don't get scared. And that if anybody's telling you the truth, you do get scared. I mean, we get scared. And who wouldn't? Your life's on the line. I mean, bad things happen in a blink of an eye, and you don't know if you're going to make it out of a situation. And that is scary. That's very normal response to a dangerous situation
0: have you had have anyway, you had any really close calls
1: i had more than i care to remember
0: really wow that close
1: yeah there are days i wake up and go wow i'm still here you know i pat myself and I'm just excited that i'm still here and i know that um my brothers were are the same you know they're just things can go wrong in a heartbeat and Sometimes you can't get out and you're like, wow, can you believe we made it?
0: <laughs> fire feels so unpredictable to me. And it feels like it can just change. I don't know. Am I wrong about that? Or is it like,
1: no, I mean, things can change on a dime, but fire itself is actually predictable. Okay. Um. So we we're trained like we, we, well, at least in my recruit school, we got excellent training and learned a lot about fire behavior, what it's supposed to do. It doesn't always do what it's supposed to do. But for the, you know, it will do predictable things so that we know how to uh, attack it, if you will, how to extinguish it. Um, But then there's always unknown factors. For instance, one day we got called out to a house fire. It had, the house had caught on fire due to lightning strike. So it's, the the fire started in the attic. Unfortunately, as we were entering, like my officer sent me out to get a tool we needed. So I was getting the tool off the fire truck, going back in. And I heard this lady say, oh, yeah, by the way, my husband makes his own ammunition. And so I looked back at my commander and he held up, you know, one second and he said, then where would that be kept? And she said he keeps it in the top of the hall closet, which wasn't that far from where the ignition, you know, where the fire was burning. So I quickly ran in and well, told another buddy, like, we got to get this out of here. And so we got the the black powder out so we were safe but that could have gone wrong in all sorts of ways um not just for us but for the neighborhood you know had it actually ignited so but that's how things can go in a blink like fire the fire itself was doing what was predicted um but that can those kinds of things can throw a dimension in that you're not expecting
0: i never heard mm-hmm. the phrase fire behavior before that's so interesting to me like How does fire behave predictably? I don't know why I'm curious about this. Like,
1: so you can strike a match and you can, if you hold it, um, with the flame below your fingers, you'll see the fire climb up through the matchstick, right? Because it's going to consume whatever fuel is there to consume. Whereas if you hold it the other way, like where the flame is away from your fingertips, it will burn out eventually, hopefully, usually before it reaches your fingertips because it, it fire grows faster up so the heat rises the gases rise actually and that catches what catches right. on fire so the fire is out to consume whatever flammable material is available to it as long as it has oxygen like um and the chemical reactions occurring it it will so we know that when a fire starts in a certain area it should behave a certain way unless people introduce things like like that in that case it would have been like black powder for ammunition it could be things like gasoline. It could be something an arson used as an accelerant because um, there's many things they can use. Um, so yeah, fire has a behavior. There's a scene in the movie Backdraft where- Oh
0: man, uh, oh, I remember yeah. that movie. Yeah, totally. where
1: they actually, they uh, one of the guys is trying to figure out what the arsonist is using and he has the fire and thing. And I just love that scene because like that's what fire does. It, it goes up, it climbs, it does all the stuff. It's, it's a living, breathing being, I think he says in the movie. And it is that.
0: I mean, you brought that's an old movie. I remember that. That's yeah. been around a while. <laughs> it's
1: been around a long time.
0: But very like it left a big impression on me just how it was shot. And mm-hmm. like it's like you're there. Yeah. It was crazy. I remember thinking like, wow, this is intense.
1: It it it's like that. I mean, minus the Hollywood drama with the <laughs> the other stuff. But yeah, it it's uh it is intense and it, the I think I feel like the pressure is even more so when you know someone's in the building or the residence and you're trying to save them, trying to find them Um, because people don't always do predictable things like fires, predictable, but people are not. And so sometimes you would think they might like, maybe they go to the bathtub, but they don't, they go to some other place. And when it, when you're in a fire, it's so smoky and dark. Most of the times you can't see your hand in front of your face. So you're calling out. And you sound like Darth Vader through a mask. Right. um, Calling out and hoping that you can hear them if they're calling back. Um, But they they do hide in strange places, especially kids.
0: Mm. I mean, it seems like a scary situation. I mean, it's like...
1: It's intense.
0: Super intense. Have you ever gotten to a situation where there was like a lot of people in the house and you were like, wow, there's almost... I don't know how we're going to get all these people out of here.
1: Um, I don't think I did. I mean, we had some calls where we were we were hopping, you know, mm. but the nice thing is they usually based on the size of the residence, they, it, it determines how many fire trucks they send. And so that means how many firefighters. So usually in my county, they did a good job of knowing how many responders to send. So it seemed like we almost always had the right, kind of help there quickly.
0: I see. Okay. Now, how, how long were you a firefighter? Just
1: over five years.
0: Five years. So what was the deciding factor? What happened uh, at the end here?
1: So I loved the job, had a knee injury. When I was out doing my rehab from, well, surgery and then rehab, I was like, can I do this job till I can retire? Mm. And my answer was, I didn't know. And so, cause it's a very physical job. And I was like, well, if I can't do this, what do I want to do? And I thought about different avenues in the fire service. Um, and they all seem boring, quite frankly. <laughs> it's like, cause I like to be in action. I like to be like, you know, in there fighting the fire or in there working on saving the life um, if it was a medical call. So um, they just seem boring. And so I was like, well, I don't want a desk job. So I don't wanna be like a battalion chief and I don't want to be the chief chief because that's political and that's just not my thing. Yeah. Um, so what would I do next? And and that question led me to my next career.
0: Well, we got to talk about this next career then. Oh, well, so,
1: <laughs> so when I was in the fire service, I volunteered with a place called the Georgia Council on Child Abuse. And it's kind of like a hotline for people that are dealing with child abuse issues. Mm. Um, They could be an adult that was a survivor. They could have a child that they're worried about, you know, is my kid being abused? But they would call the hotline and ask for questions. And we were trained in how to handle those questions. Um, And we had supervisors that were um, clinicians on staff supervising our work. So um, but I, I, I actually enjoyed helping people in that way. And my supervisors said, you know, you're really good at this. Have you ever thought about becoming a therapist? And I was like, nope, not really. <laughs> just like being- Sounds a like your life is like, that. this it's is mainly just, your life. Not really. And so I was like, at the time, you know, i kept volunteering and I would take on more responsibilities as, as I was allowed to. Um, and after the knee surgery that that hit me, it was like, wow, you know, I started thinking about in particular, one call we used to run a lot was to a, for a domestic violence situation. And everybody in our station knew when that address was called out that that's what we were going for. And that it was domestic violence. And in my off-duty time, I had um, gone to a battered women's shelter to get information for the lady. Now, that's not a firefighter's job. I just, I, I could see the writing on the wall, if you will, and I didn't want it to happen. So I got this lady the information she didn't do anything with it. And we all kind of knew that if something didn't intervene somehow, there was going to end up being a death. And unfortunately, in that case, that's what happened. Um, so three little babies um, left without either parent because one parent shot the other parent. So went to jail. Um, and that call stayed with me. And so when I was having my knee surgery and still volunteering, um, it hit me one day. I was like, well, why not try for this? So then I started asking my supervisors, so what does it take to do this? I know you have to go to graduate school. And they're like, Yes, you do. It's very competitive. You won't get in for three to five years, but you definitely, you know, we'll walk you through what you can do to improve your chances. And I was like, Great, sign, so you know. So I started working on that. And I ended up getting in the first time I applied. So when I originally applied, I thought I had three to five years more in the fire service. So when I got in, I went to my chief and said, hey, chief, I would really like to move to a day shift job because I can go to school at night and he wouldn't let me. Mm -hmm. So that made the decision. Um, I had really wanted to find a win win because my idea was like, remember, we worked 24 on 48 off. So I was like, I can come to shift after I graduate and then work on my business, if you will on the two days off and I can manage my schedule because I'm the boss at that point. Right. And so I really had wanted to do both, but, um, my chief said, if it wasn't a degree in fire science, then he wouldn't support it and he didn't. So I left.
0: Just like that. Wow. I mean, this always surprises me when people aren't supportive of another person doing something that's going to further them and help them out. You know,
1: I I tried to tell him like, look, you know, I could help our, our, are firefighters, yeah, or their families that need help, like you know, I understand the job, but um he felt like if it had to be a fire science degree or or he couldn't support it, so.
0: What was the reason? But I mean, what was the reasoning behind that beyond just him wanting it to be a fire science degree? There's a deeper thing here. I feel he, like
1: He said if he may, so he only wanted to promote people getting degrees in fields that he thought were totally relevant to firefighting or emergency medical services. And so... That that was his position, like if it's not specific to one to, to one or the other, then I'm not gonna support it. So he felt like if he supported me in in going to the path I was going, he would have to make exceptions for everybody wanting to go back to college for whatever.
0: I see. And
1: he just he didn't want to do that. So um the assistant chief later told me that he felt like chief didn't think I would really resign. Um but the the assistant chief kept telling him she's going to, I mean, she has the opportunity of a lifetime in front of her and she's not going to risk not getting in if she applies again. So, but he did what he could. And, uh, the chief just, that was his position.
0: You would think like that would be very relevant to the job. I mean, <laughs>
1: you would think that especially with post-traumatic so. stress disorder, um, something more people are talking about now,
0: right.
1: um, but Yeah, it's not like, you know, I remember we, if we worked a really bad call, um, sometimes when we got off shift, we would go out together and basically have breakfast and then go bowl and drink to blow off the steam. Now it was in a way it was good because it's team building and we're together. So that's good. Um, the drinking, some of us probably drank too much. (laughs) Um, and, uh, you know, I don't know that that was necessarily the healthiest thing to do, but, um, you know I look back on a lot of the things some of that that we displayed, I'm saying as a group, um we just did different things, like some of the guys would get really irritable and cranky, some of the guys couldn't sleep. um, I know I had that sometimes, like just couldn't sleep. um so you would think that a degree in basically becoming a therapist would have been of value to them, uh, but he just didn't see it that way,
0: so let me get this straight. so I mean, I, I just In general, is there a therapist on staff at firehouses or this is like an anomaly? It's never very rare or not at all.
1: No, they developed um, they got pretty smart down the road. Um, They developed a peer counseling system. It's okay. I mean, it's better than nothing. The problem is in the fire department the rumors run rampant. So unfortunately what I found, and I don't know if this is true in all departments everywhere, but if somebody was out on leave for something confidential like a medical issue or it could be mental health or whatever, we weren't supposed to know about it. It was supposed to be between them and HR and their, their superior officer, their officer, right? But we would find out, like everybody knew. And so then that creates issues with what do you want to share? and What don't you share? You know, because you, you need your fellow brothers and sisters now to trust you. And so depending on what it was about, that trust could be hard to come by if it was certain things. So the peer counseling to me just wasn't the smartest choice they could have made because that's it's how are you going to guarantee confidentiality? Yeah, you know there's no it's it's honor bound and um and your brothers and sisters, so you you know you talk it's
0: i wonder though know. like is this a kickback because it's such a male dominated profession, and often men do not do well with sharing their feelings and talking to someone professional if that has been a barrier to having therapy in firehouses
1: sure absolutely um It's still, you know, men today still have barriers to being, I mean, they're not expected to express their feelings, you know, like there's not, there aren't many safe places for them to do that, which I think sometimes is sad because it contributes to more violence because if you can't express your anger, your frustration, your anxiety, your fear, your worry, like all that crap that we all experience. If you can't express it, it's like you're, you're in a pressure cooker and sooner or later, the lid's going to blow. And that's why I am an advocate for finding safe channels to express all of your feelings. Like, I know it seems like some people want just the happy feelings expressed, you know, like (laughs) happy, happy, joy, joy, peace. And I'm like, well, that's okay. Like, sure. I want people to be happy and experience joy and peace. Absolutely but the reality is we're wired to experience all of those feelings. The key is how do we express them in healthy ways so that we don't end up hurting each other when we're angry or upset, you know? And I feel like men need that. We all, we all need that kind of outlet, but men especially because men tend to express their anger in more physical ways um, than most women. And I think, Physical release is great. Like for years, I used to run when I'd get mad. I'd go for a run. You know, it just got the energy out and the frustration and and all that. And then I felt more reasonable when I got done, so I could go have a conversation with whoever I needed to have it with. You know,
0: I mean, you would think this would be standard procedure to have debriefing after all these traumatic events with uh, someone to talk to, a professional. And all these professions, whether firefighting, EMT, paramedics, police officers, I had a lady on who was a social worker and always experienced trauma through families. And and one of their biggest issues is the lack of therapy for social workers to deal with all the trauma they're experiencing. I mean, I feel I'm glad that it's getting like there's more recognition of this now, but it would seem like these are the areas that it's like non-negotiable. These are a must. You would just think so. It seems obvious to me.
1: It does. And then when you think about um, like George Floyd, when right. that happened, you know, like I I don't know what it's like to be a police officer. And quite frankly, I don't want to have to know what that's like. Um, but I mean, the man can't breathe. And I... I can't help but wonder if those officers had had the right, well, better kind of better training and better emotional, mental health support. If that would have happened, you know, um, cause it, it's, it was so unnecessary. I, and I still, to Sorry. this day, I don't understand how, when you subdue someone, why that level of violence, right. You know, I just, I really don't understand that. And I don't think I will because I'm not, I'm not, I don't think that way. And I don't say I don't get angry enough to like, you know, punch somebody because I haven't punched somebody, but I feel like sometimes I'm angry enough where I could, you know, but I think when it comes to my personal safety, like, yes, I'm going to defend my life. But once they're subdued, I don't, you don't have to keep going.
0: Right. You
1: know, it's, it, it breaks my heart on so many levels. And to me, it was avoidable was 100% avoidable.
0: 100%. 100%. But this happens,
1: it happens too much across our country. And that's, you know, if I could change anything, that would be one of the top things on my list. It's just, you know, let's, let's learn how to express our feelings in a healthier way so that it doesn't escalate to that level.
0: I agree with that. I think you're a hundred percent correct. And I think regardless of men, women, we just need to do a better job of investing in our own behavior, our own psychosocial behavior, emotional, social to better deal with all of the things that are coming our way. And especially in professions that you're literally getting constant Exposure. Think about our military. My dad served for 28 years in the military. Mm -hmm. In the military, think of all the craziness you see in this constant deployment cycle and seeing the ravages of these professions. You need to be able to, not even just after these things happen, but going into the service, whatever service you're in, you need to have that investment into therapy, resilience training, therapeutic communication not always just after you know
1: yeah i couldn't agree more it's um the military is tough i mean i can relate to them to some degree but um you know i haven't had to pull a weapon on anybody and or blow up anybody or anything like that so the horrors that they live through it's like i can relate to them darian but i don't really know what it's like to be in their shoes I can imagine how scary and God-awful it must be at times. Um, And then to be torn away from your family like that. I mean, like in the fire department, like I said, 24 on, 48 off. If we live through the shift, which thankfully most of the time we do, we go home. We have 48 hours, um, not necessarily the whole time. We get to spend that time with our families. The military, they don't. I mean, they're deployed and they're gone for months, years. The toll it takes on the family, I just... You know, the family, I always think of it when I think of the military, I think that their family is enrolled, too, you know, and they're serving, too. It's just they're serving in a different way, but they're serving as well. Um, But yes, I think part of it is we how we define weakness in our culture. Mm. Um, So if you cry, you're considered weak instead of human and caring. Um, Because I look at it when someone's crying, they care. Or maybe they're hurting. Um, but we would we, we don't do that to like a little baby when the little baby cries. You know, we don't go, ah, oh, you're weak, stop that, you know. It's like we don't do that. You're like, oh, the little baby's crying. What do I need to do to try to help it? And I wish we could be more like that with each other as adults and teenagers and you know that it it's like well, somebody's upset, you know, instead of rushing to judge them, how about finding out like, hey, what's going on? And is there anything I can do to help? Sometimes you can't. I know one time I was walking in a grocery store and this guy was having a full tilt boogie meltdown. Like he had the, uh, the little carry cart things you have. He was throwing them around and slinging them. And he had a, another uh, buggy and he like flipped it over and people were backing out as I was approaching. And I'm like, what the heck's going on? And then I saw him and the, I think somebody was hoping that the grocery store had security, which at that point our grocery store didn't. So I just walked up to him and I was like, Hey buddy, at a safe distance. I was like, Hey buddy, what's going on? You know, anything I can do to help you and just tried to start calming him down, you know? And thankfully he did calm down. And then I, there was a Starbucks inside the grocery store and I was like, Hey, how about I treat you to a cup of coffee and let's just talk this thing out, you know? And so we did, and I'm not tooting my horn. Not everybody should try that. Not everybody's been in my shoes and had to deal with that kind of situation, but, um, and there's an art form to it. But,, uh, the people that were behind me that were leaving the store once we went in to have coffee, like they were able to go shop, right? And then I was able to like just listen to him. That's all he really needed, just somebody to listen and maybe, you know, empathize a little bit, uh, which was easy to do, given his um, life situation at the time. It, I mean, it pretty much sucked. I think anybody in his shoes would have been frustrated and you know um, but it, if we could be more like that with each other, I just think I'd have more hope for us.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I think it's also the fact that, I mean, you did something in real time, in real life, but a lot of people are operating in a digital world that is not really indicative of what's actually happening. True. So they don't see the you're appealing to someone's humanity in person. They just see the division or... Uh, things people say online, and diff- they don't know that that's reality, that that like people do that. They don't see that. They see the ugliness that people exhibit. And then people say all types of crazy stuff. There's a real disconnect between what's actually happening and what people perceive to be happening in a digital world. It's just very different. You know?
1: It is. And um, the one thing I am happy about the digital world is now people can pull out their phones and film when uh an emergency incident's happening and mm. you know so when like if a crime is occurring you can actually you know help uh and i'm not necessarily saying help the person right that's quote the victim of because sometimes they you need protection from the police i mean sadly but sometimes sure. you need that but it works both ways sometimes the pulling out your camera and filming can help them catch quote unquote the bad guy or gal um but, um, so that's one good thing, but you're right. I think too many times people confuse like social media as, as the real world. And it's not, it's like, you can look at people's people are only going to post mostly what makes them look good. Right. That's it. And they're not going to share like the real heartaches and problems and challenges they're going through because they want you to like the post, um, So if you share that stuff, you know, oh, my gosh, they might not like you. And then the flip side, too, is it's it's easy to get away with bullying behavior on social media because there's no real consequence.
0: That's exactly right.
1: You know, like I was scrolling through um, Facebook one day and I saw a post that it was a bully. I mean, it was just flat out bully. And normally I try to ignore things like that. This one had a political edge to it. So yeah, I try to stay yeah. away from that because I like sure. to keep my energy clean and good <laughs> and positive, but it stayed with me. And it, it, like, it kept nudging me. It was like, that's just not right. Like, it's okay to express your opinions, but it's not okay to bully someone. It's not okay to degrade other people because of your opinion. Like that's, it's a different thing. And so I ended up going back and it took me a minute because I didn't want to come from a place of anger or hate or anything like that, but I, I definitely wanted to be respectful, but I wanted to call the bullying out for what it was, and so I found a diplomatic way to do that, and um, as diplomatic a way as I could. Anyway. I
0: mean, diplomacy? I does that still exist? <laughs> it,
1: it, it does for some people. It does. Uh,
0: <laughs> but You're saying a word that a lot of people don't know. <laughs> like,
1: <laughs> I think somehow people forgot that you don't have to say everything you think.
0: I know. I tell my daughter that all the time. I'm like, everything that's happening here does not need to come out here.
1: <laughs> exactly. <laughs> that's right. Everything happening in your brain doesn't need to cross those lips.
0: No, no.
1: <laughs> no. like even me, like I know that it's like, cause sometimes I think things that, you know, I would never want to say to another human being, but I think them, you know, it's like yeah. I'm human. I have my little, you know, rants and tirades internally as mm-hmm. well. Um, But to take that out on another human is just not okay with me. That's my standard. Yeah. I think, you know, when we can pause and and not like attack back, I think that that's how we're wired. When someone attacks us, we either fight or flee or freeze. Um, Those are the three. But so a lot of times we're wired to like, we'll fight back. You know, well, you said this, so I'm going to say this. Instead of going, you know what, they said that. I don't agree with that. That's really all it is, I don't agree with it. They are allowed to have their opinion. I don't understand how some people think the way they do. I mean, I'll just say that straight up, don't understand it. Um, But I'm sure if I took a minute to get to know them and step into their world, I would gain some understanding of it. not saying I would totally get it, but I would get some appreciation for it. But just because I don't agree with somebody doesn't mean I have to attack them. And it doesn't mean that I can't be kind and respectful. Yeah. I wish we would get to that point in our society.
0: It's funny. I feel like there's elements of hopefulness for that. And then there's elements of just dread of it. And then, but there's been some very interesting books and research about why people are so negative online. And what's kind of sad is for a lot of people, it's, it's just boredom. It's mm-hmm. just a lot of boredom. And that is really disturbing to me like being negative or mean because you just have nothing going on like i mean yeah, there's got to so be a better reason than this i was <laughs> <It's> like
1: <laughs> go get a life you know Create right Is like, like yeah yeah like i was resistant to social media when it first came out because i'm active and i liked i love the outdoors and so you know like i would 10 times rather be out hiking the trail than on social media and uh my friends and colleagues brought me into the you know 20th century so to speak and now i'm on social media but even now like you know i'd still prefer engaging with people in person to social media and and again like there's great things about social media like with the hurricane ian that just hit we were able to quickly figure out our friends and family that were in florida that that were safe and that's like a huge relief um but there's abuses of it as well, um, which we've seen. And there's just a real disconnect. Like I ran into a firefighter buddy of mine and I was asking him how it was going. And he, he said, well, the, the kids today, um, and he, he means like the younger firefighters, he's like, you know, they're in the station and then we don't talk anymore. They're all texting and they'll even (laughs) text each other when they're in the same room. And I'm like, what
0: that's insane
1: like they text each other when we're sitting in the same room it's ridiculous and i'm like what i don't don't even know why that's happening
0: it's such a bad thing actually it's funny you mentioned that denise because i was talking my daughter's 11 and all of her friends have phones and stuff and and i said no we're not doing that until like your eighth ninth grade and i said you just you just talk to people like you need to learn to talk to people so all your friends don't know how to talk i've seen you guys together you literally don't know how to talk to each other. It's mm-hmm. strange. And it's like, no matter what technology is invented, talking is still going to be important. It's still going to be really important. And imagine a world where you learn how to talk through texting through, versus talking like you and I are talking. Yeah. That's why I do this all the time is because I want to keep this skill sharpened at all times. And it's, it's evergreen. It's never going away. There may be a metaverse coming, but you still have to talk to people. <laughs>
1: <I'm> like, <laughs> you do you do i agree so hey what did what caused you to start your podcast i'm just curious
0: you know what i was having networking i've been on so linkedin is kind of my main thing that i use to chat with people and connect professionally i don't have I'll, i have youtube and, but that's about it and i was having six or seven networking phone calls a week but just random people I'd meet somebody and like hey let's jump on a phone call i, I want to talk <laughs> you know like
1: yeah
0: Colleagues in fitness and wellness, you know, people were doing way different stuff. I said, I'm already doing a podcast. I just need to like make it a podcast, you know. So I had been doing that for about 10 years, just having phone calls with people. And uh, which is funny because I think a lot of people are very skeptical of it initially. Every time I reach out, they're like, What do you want? I'm like, To know you? <laughs> like Like I don't want anything from you. I just I feel that my life is enriched when I get to know a lot of people and I can I identify with your service thing. Everybody is called to serve in a different way. And whatever that is for you, I'm I'm very supportive of it. Mine is like connection. I'm I'm a connector. I like to hook other people up with other people. And then I like to understand the stories of other people. Because I think humans have been telling stories for ages and ages, and that's never going to end. So I want to show people an example of like, hey, I'm meeting people, I have no clue who they are every week. Like every week I have three to four hours of conversation with humans I've never met before. Hopefully that's an example of like, this is still an important art form, chatting with people and getting to know them.
1: Agree more. I mean, that's, that's the sad thing when you think about most of the troubles we have. yeah. It's because of the lack of communication or a communication breakdown. Right. And the only way to resolve that is to connect, communicate, and learn from the breakdowns. Like, okay, well, that didn't go so well. Maybe right. I should try this instead, you know, instead of just throwing up your hands and giving up and sending a text message.
0: You know? I can't tell you how many people have contacted me throughout this time. I mean, I'm this is like 510th episode or what? I mean, just tons of this stuff. and. And people will say, well, you do all these crazy episodes of different people. Do you get a lot of hate and stuff? I'm like, no. I'm like, but even if I did, I would not meet that hate with more hate with it. And, and a few times somebody has gotten a hold of me and said, hey, I, you know, blah. And they started going down that road. I would say, listen, I'm happy to hear what you have to tell me about this. I know you don't agree with the topic that I was discussing, but I respect you as a human being. And. You know, your point of view is your point of view. And, you know, it turned it around immediately. Then they were like so nice. Yeah. Just like you did. And I'm like, why are we not doing this? But I think a lot of people are just not equipped with that. Like you said, they, they just go right into the the best way to create a lot of defense is to create a lot of offense. Absolutely. With people, right?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I love what you said. I think what you, what you were talking about really is you listen. Yeah. You listen. So even when you meet the the person that doesn't like what was said or something, you, you're you you're open to listening. And that's what most of us want. We just want to be heard.
0: Most definitely. So,
1: yeah. Kudos to you for Thank giving you. that space to people because it's it's a vital space.
0: I mean, it's just human. Be- you talked about the predictability of fire and and humans are unpredictable. I, I I totally agree with that. But people are also very predictable, too, in my opinion. And most people care what other people think about their uh, things they say, the clothes they wear, their, whatever they care about. Uh, people care so much about how other people perceive them. And social media has amped that up to like 20 billion times for that. So people really just want to be known and they want to be validated. And they want to be heard. And I, once you do that, it's pretty smooth sailing after that. It really is. I mean, there's some nutty people out there. I'm not gonna lie. But even the nutty ones I've come across, we we always have a fun time. You know, it's, it's like, yeah,
1: there's room for everybody.
0: <laughs> it's right, yeah. And it's like, listen, we're never gonna agree on this one thing. And that's totally fine. But I'm sure there's plenty of things we we have, you know, we enjoy together, potentially, you know, it's, I think a lot of stuff is lack of exposure, like the fire department. Most humans don't know what that's like. They don't know what you do. And or they think of this is what this is, because this is what I've seen on TV or through streaming they just don't know. I want to know what happens behind the curtain. That's kind of my thing, too. <laughs> like, oh. what are you actually doing <laughs>
1: like, <laughs> behind the curtain in the fire service? It's a lot of training and a lot of maintenance and right. a lot of cleaning. Um, a, a lot, lot of, of cleaning. Drills.
0: See, I wouldn't think that. I wouldn't a think the cleaning drills. part.
1: Nope. The, the equipment and the station itself is on a cleaning schedule mm. uh, in most departments. Um, and so there's days for different things. And you know, if you're working on Tuesday, let's say that it's floor day and you're going to have to make sure that all the floors yeah. are stick and span. Um, Saturdays for when I was on was truck day. So you, you literally clean the truck and take out <laughs> all the equipment and clean it and make sure it's working. Um, just cause you'd hate to get on a call and discover, oh, wait, my, my jaws of life aren't working.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> Not an okay thing. Um, but like, yeah, a lot of drills, a lot of practice, uh, just keeping yourself in shape. Yeah. Um, you're constantly studying for tests, um, because there's ways to get, to achieve like more in the service, which is what we want, mm-hmm. you know? So like, okay. you go from where you graduate. Rookie school, you're a firefighter one, and most people want to get to at least a firefighter two certified relief driver. So there's a lot of training that goes on between that. And then if you want to become a an officer, like a lieutenant or a captain, there's more training on top of that. Um, so that like knowledge, and then we have practical drills where you know they they want to make sure that you you keep using your equipment, which is important. Some stations are close are slower than others. Mm. Um, plus, just the more you do things, the the more it's, um, it's a pattern. Like you don't have to think about it. Like when it's you automatic. wake up, you don't, yeah, yeah, you don't think about opening your eyes, your eyes open. It's they we want to be that, um, ritualized, I guess, or practice so that we're not having to think about like things that we're just, we're doing them automatically so that it increases our response time. Um, those are the kinds of things. And then of course there's, uh, at least back in my day, they may have, um, had too many complaints and stopped doing it. But there's always uh, pranks that you play on each other. Mm. Um, So you have to set those up. And sometimes (laughs) you have to get more than one person involved. Um, But those are some pretty fun times. Uh, It's not, I mean, people now would probably call it hazing. Mm -hmm. In my case, it wasn't hazing. It it was just all in good fun.
0: playful. Yeah,
1: yeah, it was playful. And it was a way to show that you're part of the team. Um, Because, you know, it's like, I got upset one time um, with something that happened. I don't remember what it was, but I was upset. And uh, I walked out into the bay, which is where the fire trucks are in a huff. And uh, a guy that was a good mentor for me um, stepped out after me. And he said, hey, uh, I know that you didn't like that or whatever he said, but I want you to think about something. And I was like, what? And he said, if they don't pick on you, that means you're not part of, you're not one of us. You're not part of the team. And then he reminded me of a, a guy that would fill in at our station sometimes that none of us liked. And we just, <laughs> we avoided him. I mean, we, we weren't mean to him, but we just tried to avoid him. We didn't want to talk to him. We didn't, we just didn't want to engage him. Yeah. You know, yeah. um, so we tried not to be mean, but we just didn't want to talk to him. And so I thought about that and he mentioned the guy's name and I was like, oh yeah, wow. So really, when they're busting my chops like that, it's just saying like, you're one of us. And I was like, okay, I get it. I've just got to, you know, digest the translation a little. Yeah. Um, But, you know, sometimes it's not like, it's not what, things aren't always what you think they are.
0: That's like life in general. I mean, and that's why I think learning behind the scenes of something like firefighting or like, this is... I know nobody really likes this i mean it's at an all-time low but like i literally would like to know what politicians do all day like like somebody needs to tell me what actually happens on a daily basis because i think a lot of people would be surprised it's probably not that much i'm telling you i'd be shocked if it was actually really meaningful on a regular basis and uh that's kind of my goal is uh, you know i'm not sure if that'll happen but I want to know, because a lot of what we do that gets romanticized is often not that exciting behind the, the closed doors. It's just a lot of repetition, like yeah. a megaton of repetition. And most of it is just like daily stuff that would not excite the general public. And uh, but some sometimes people go into things because they want the glamour aspect of it. But don't then they get into it, and realize like, well, that's like 10 percent of this <laughs> like most of it's yeah. not is not this you know like you got to know what you're getting into you know
1: you do i like what you said i would like to know what our politicians do too because Seriously. when they talk about a government shutdown i'm like you should be fired because your right. job is to All keep government open and if i work for a company and i said i'm going to shut the company down today i would be fired right. so I, I think if we when they call for the government shutdowns it's like then you should be fired if you can't keep your job is to keep the government running, and if you, <laughs> do it, you need to be gone. I'm right. sorry, like you know, like you. What and if, you know, what are you doing that you can't keep the government open? Like really?
0: I want to know. I literally have had so many conversations. This is not like this side that side. I just want to know, like, what's the mechanism of this job? Like, yeah. what time do you show up? What meetings happen? I want to hour by blow by blow. And if most of it's like playing Tetris and you know talking shit, I'm like, Wait, what are we doing here? <laughs> like, I mean, and what
1: when you have a meeting, what are you really discussing? What's this it?
0: meeting about? Like, on come on,
1: having drinks with a buddy. I think I mean, it's just
0: yeah. a bunch of meetings about a bunch of other meetings, and then another meeting. Yeah, <laughs> like, it seems like. Doesn't it seem like that? It's like, <laughs> what is this? Why does this? It just seems like not a lot happens. It seems like it's fundraising. And talking a lot of shit. <laughs> That's what it seems like. It is. Pretty and much. Maybe
1: they, maybe they do a lot more and we aren't privy to it.
0: Why don't we know be- that?
1: Right. So maybe they should share that, what you're asking. like Someone needs to share that. With us, like share it with us so we know. And then we're not like, well, okay, where are my tax dollars going? Why Why? I, you know?
0: Because people respect that once somebody knows how something's made or how something works, it changes the the gears in their mind about it. They're like, wait a minute, you're not doing much? <laughs> like yeah. You know, like, yeah. why? Wait a minute. Why, why? Why? Like, I don't know. I'm very suspicious of it. But I'm like that with most things. I'm like, all right, can you tell me what your day is like? I really want to know. Because a lot of people don't ask that. They just assume someone does this type of job and they must, this is how long they work in a day. But like, is most of that work or is a lot of it just messing around? Like,
1: yeah, I'm with you. There's
0: plenty of people working in an office and they're there for 10 hours. They're not working for 10 hours. I'm telling you that right now.
1: I know <laughs> that. I know that. And well. there's some
0: people who are working like meeting to meeting to meeting. But I don't know. There's a lot of people, you know, taking extended lunches and stuff, you know, <laughs> like.
1: I know when I was uh, I was a contractor, emergency management consultant contractor, and we had a contract with CDC one time, and we were in an emergency response, and I was trying to p- compile a big, an important report that had to go to the up the higher ups, right? And so I'm frantically trying to get information from all these different departments because I have to make sure my numbers are accurate and that I have these key departments included and this CDC employee was playing the farmyard game on their (laughs) phone and asked me something about, do you want to go to lunch? And I looked and I'm like, I can't go to lunch. Oh no. The first, it started with, should I buy the corn or the whatever? And I'm like, what the, what? And it was like, should I buy You know? And then I'm like, what are you doing? And told me, I said, I don't, I don't have time for that. I've got to get this report out. And then like a few minutes later, it was like, oh, do you want to go to lunch with me? And I'm like, I got to get this report done. You know, I thank you, but no, I can't go right now. And it just struck me as like, here I am, a contractor busting my tail to get the report done for the, the organization, if you will. And the full-time paid employee is playing on Facebook and going to lunch. Oh, yeah. And it, maybe it was like the uh, their lunchtime, but it didn't come across that
0: way. No, it was what not I mean, lunchtime. I'm not, guarantee you it was not. It did not
1: come across that way. And I just, <laughs> it, it left an impression on me. I'm like, wow, you know, but it didn't mean that I could stop doing my job. because yeah. I had lots of people counting on me. So I was like, yeah, I'm going to do what I'm supposed to be doing.
0: Yeah. I'm telling you, it's, uh, I used to run a high-end gym for like 10 years and I mean, I was there a lot and I worked pretty hard, but there was like three hours a day where I really didn't need to be there. Like, I mean, I was just like, you know, hanging out like it's the honest truth. It's not like I was productive during that time. I just want were people you, to be honest about the stuff they're doing.
1: Were you were you bonding with other people when you were hanging out?
0: I mean, you know, honestly, I was surfing the net sometimes. I was <laughs> <laughs> not joking. Sometimes <laughs> I would talk to people, which was part of my job. And I love doing that part. But there would be times where I just look around. Nobody in here. Just me. Couple hours. and I'm like, you know, I mean, this is I mean, let's be honest. I'm not being productive during this time. And it's, I think it's OK to say that. I just want people to be honest about it. It's like, no, you're yeah. not working every second of this time. It's right. And some people really aren't working. <laughs> I'm telling you, they're not okay. doing anything. That's why my whole politician thing, I'm like, I don't understand the mechanism of this job. I am trying to get like doing interviews. Is that the job for like, get going on TV? Like, is that really part of the job? Like,
1: yeah. You know, you've got me curious. It's like, so how do we find out what they're doing?
0: Exactly. Somebody needs to come on and give me a blow by blow what's happening. Well, you know.
1: I, yeah. We need some senators and some congressmen and, and women, and uh, we need some, we need some mayors and those types to help us yeah. understand
0: Um, like what does the mayor do of a town seriously i i don't i don't really know like like what is that like what time do they go to work is there like meetings scheduled all that like seriously i've you know i've always wondered this i'm like what do some of these people do
1: i don't know there's a thing in the incident command system which the firefighters are trained in we developed it um where (laughs) it's funny there's a guy that did a video called the mini hats of incident command Mm -hmm. And he does the mayor and the mayor shows up for the camera shots so that he can look, he or she can look good when the disaster (laughs) occurs and everything's been taken care of. And notice that the first responders that we're helping manage, they don't make the camera. It's the mayor in front of the, you know, it's a joke. But um, so other than that, I really don't know what the job of a mayor is. And it may be they do lots of important things all day long and work 18 hours a day. The truth is, I don't know. Yeah,
0: it could be. And it literally could be that. And that's great. And it literally could not be that, too. (laughs) I just (laughs) that's the confusion uh... here. It's like, okay, is this like some people are just doing it like they're in where they live or is maybe the district they're in? I don't know. I just there's just a lot I don't know is what I'm saying. And I would just like to know that's the that's kind of my curiosity. It's not like going to be like, see, I told you you didn't do much. It's just like I'm literally like flummoxed by like I don't understand this like
1: that's a great question
0: like i didn't know you clean trucks one day like oh they spend a the day cleaning trucks and these trucks seem big so it seems like it'd be a lot of work
1: it takes it takes a while it depends on the size of your company like we had a fire engine and a ladder truck and an ambulance we weren't responsible for the ambulance but oh, um, I we, see. Were, we took care of the fire truck and the ladder truck and um it takes a while to go through everything and you actually extend the ladder and make sure the ladder's working properly and all that fun stuff. Oh, that's um, good. Which is know. good because yeah, <laughs> when you need it, you, you want to know that it, it's there, you know,
0: it was kind of like, if thing. you, you know, if you went to a carnival, you're not sure they're inspecting these rides that great. You know, it's like, mm. yeah. <laughs> it's like-
1: no, we wanted to. And then like, of course in the morning, there's like a, they call it like check truck. It's really truck check, but you're also checking your gear to make sure your gear's ready to go. So, like your oxygen tank has plenty of oxygen and it's the pressure, and you have to check your regulator's working, like those kinds of things. Because if you get on a call, you don't want to go. Oops! You want to know that (laughs) you're ready to go. (laughs) So
0: bad if that happened, man. Well, this is very uh, comforting to know that this there this level of detail for something that that's that important. Um, It's just that's my curiosity behind it. It's like, oh, you can be reasonably assured that when fire team comes to an incident they've done this they've run through these drills a lot you can be sure of that but i just i just think it's fascinating you know
1: and make sure our equipment's we like so somebody could catch a late call and in theory if if you if a piece of equipment's broken when you're on a call you're supposed to re, you're supposed to tag it and put it away and you know replace it and make note but depending like you know we are human and depending on how things unfold if it was a late call And somehow it got overlooked, you know, we could open up the truck, like a truck door and go, oh, the shovel's broken. But that could become important on a call later, like if it's a rescue operation. So um, there's checks and measures like that as well, just to make sure that on a daily basis, those things are looked at. Um, So there's a lot that goes to it that people don't think about. You're right. Like nobody has a
0: clue. No, unless you live
1: near a fire station, and then you see them pull the truck out every morning and yeah, the lights flashing and somebody walking around looking and going thumbs up or you know, all that stuff.
0: I think that's part of the whole deal is right. As you see something like let's say on TV or whatever and whatever, and you just see the front, you see the tip of the iceberg. Yeah. And often people just don't question what's underneath the iceberg. They just go, mm, okay. And just take it. I've just never been like that. I'm like, what, what happens there? Like, <laughs> like what, what, tell me what goes on there. Like, and that helps me form my opinion about the thing, you know,
1: I love that about you. I love it. <laughs> because most people, most people, if you look at just how we look at other people, if you look at a person and that's the tip of the iceberg, there's a whole lot going on that you don't know anything about. And I love what you said, because before you form that opinion, how about you take a deeper look at that iceberg? I love that. That's rich. That is rich.
0: That's rich. Well, this has been a very rich conversation, Denise. Uh, What a um, pleasurable and really awesome time with someone like yourself. I really appreciate you coming on.
1: Thank you for having me as a guest, Darian. I really appreciate you um, and what you're doing in the world. Thank Thank
0: you. you. Hey, tell everyone how they can uh, get some more of Denise Garrett in their life.
1: So you can always look me up on Facebook, um, Denise Garrett, uh, Blueburn, Georgia, or you can go to my uh, company, uh, CourageousLeadershipAcademy.com, um, CourageousLeadershipAcademy.com. It, Courageous Leadership Academy is also on Facebook as well.
0: Wonderful. Denise, yep. it's been a yep. pleasure. Thank it you has so been.
1: much. Thank you so much.
0: Do you know the risk factors for type two diabetes? Or well, what makes it more likely you or someone in your life might have the disease? With type two diabetes playing a growing role in the lives of so many, you need to know. In Project Power, a community program from the American Diabetes Association is here to help. Take our risk test today at diabetes.org projectpower You can avoid the risks of type two. Project Power will help. Why does Comcast Business power more businesses than any other provider? It has technology solutions that put you ahead, like the fastest, reliable network and serious savings. Whether your small business is starting or growing, you need Comcast Business. Comcast Business, powering possibilities.
1: Get internet security and voice for just $40 per month for 12 months when you add mobile. Ends 11 06 2022. Restriction supply requires EcoBill and Autopay. New Comcast Business 250 megabit per second internet, security edge, and one voice line customers only. Two year agreement required. Equipment taxes and other fees extra and subject to change.